few things about discipleship here. One discipleship is a ripening. It is valuable. It cannot arbitrarily come to anybody with any kind of mind or any kind of attitude. The Upanishadic tradition is full of worldly and materially successful and accomplished people going to the sages. We have to see that Firstly, these are talented and industrious people. They are successful kings and lords. They know the ways of the world. They know how to win the world. At least they are not victims of others shrewdness and their own indolence or dullness. For these are the two things that prevent a person from being worldly successful or rather make a person the slave of the world. First is, if you are so naive or ignorant or greedy that others overwhelm you, oversmart you, overpower you, by either tempting you, or by 
defeating you with their efficiency and industriousness, effortfulness, or by simply making a fool of you. This is the likely first reason if you are not successful in the world. Hmm? Others are able to deceive you. The second reason is inner. Inwardly you are so slothful, lazy, a victim to your own tendencies, that no well-directed effort arises from you. So how will you do anything worthwhile in the world? Now, it is not very significant that those who often came to the sages were kings. What is very significant is that those who came to the sages did not carry either of the two follies we just discussed. Two follies was one, they were not so naive that the world could take them for a ride. They knew the ways of Maya when they saw Maya in others. And two, they were not inwardly dull or lazy. They could see Maya in themselves as well. So these were people with a certain qualification. And I repeat, their qualification is not that they were kings. Their qualification is that they knew Maya and were successful against it, at least to some extent. A bumbling idiot will not manage to stay king for long, or would he? So if somebody is a king, we know that he holds at least a certain degree of mental sharpness, right? Even if we say that the fellow just happened to have the kingdom in patrimony because his father too was a king, yet he won't be able to carry his inheritance for long, right? If he is an utter idiot.
So these are sharp people. Right? Sharp enough to manage the state and also sharp enough to see what's cooking within them, what's empty and hollow and a begging within them. Do you see this particular combination? We are talking of the disciple. Hmm? We are trying to go into the mind of the right disciple. First thing, the right disciple cannot be the one who is tempted or scared or defeated easily by the world. Right? And that's why it holds significance that these people, you know, Shaunak and Janak and many others, they are kings. And the second thing about the disciple is that he sees that, well, I do succeed in the world and I probably can succeed even more in the world, but it's not all quite adding up. Something remains to be fulfilled within. Getting it? I'm not someone who is so incompetent that he cannot even win a small worldly battle. I'm not that kind of a fellow. I do win battles, if not all, at least many of them. But it's not sufficing. Getting it? Not that I'm not winning battles, that's another kind of a problem. I'm not succeeding at all in the world. That's another kind of a man. We are not saying that kind of a man is fit to be a disciple. This is a different person who says, I am indeed winning in the world. If not everything, then at least a lot of things. But it's not sufficing. At least the outer maya I am able to defeat, resist. People come to a king with all kinds of shrewdness and inner mechanisms and deviousness, no? Don't they? If you are a king, you know what kind of conspiracies are hatched against you and all the palace intrigues and such things. Hmm? You've read of them, right? So the king has to be a sharp fellow. And he is a sharp fellow. He's not sharp, he won't last. But he also sees that for all his sharpness, Sound sleep eludes him. He is sharper than probably the rest of the world, yet not sharp enough for himself. Ah. Now that's the problem. He's sharp enough to beat the mechanisms of the outer world, yet something sits within that he is not quite able to 
make sense of, read. and defeat. This is the disciple. This is the kind of mind that is needed. Why is the first condition important? The first condition is important because if you are not able to even compete with the outer world, it will just pick and carry you away. And you can be carried away in two ways. One, you are blown away against your wish almost kidnapped. Two, you are tempted and lured away. There is not much difference in the two. Somebody could forcibly just pick you up and take you away if you are powerless. Equally, if you are powerless, you can be dangled a carrot and tempted away. This person is not fit to be a disciple. That's why we see a lot of kings in the Upanishadic narrative. The world will be able to neither overwhelm them nor tempt them. So you have to ask yourself, Are you smart enough? Hmm? If the world is sly, you at least need to be smart enough to read the world's slyness. No? Or would you match slyness with stupidity? Tell me, please. You need not match slyness with slyness. But you at least need to be smart enough to know slyness where it exists. Are you getting it? And slyness never comes announcing its name, or does it? Yeah? Will shrewdness declare itself? Will the fox come and say, I am so wily? To the chicken, it intends to pick up. You need to have the smarts to see slyness behind its disguise.
the disguise is the slyness, no? Is it not? If it is not disguised, it has no power. Getting it. So that stereotype, if it exists at all in some of us, has to be challenged and broken. Which stereotype? That says that the man of scriptures, the spiritual man, is a simpleton. Not possible. Simplicity is a great virtue, but it is not what we think it to be. There is a great difference between innocence and ignorance. The ignorant mind cannot even see Maya. And therefore remains happily blissful. So you say ignorance is bliss. Right? That bliss is obviously both temporary and dangerous. Hmm? That's the bliss of the drunkard, happily lying on the railway track thinking it's his bedroom, happy. The happiness won't last, it's temporary and this happiness would lead to his destruction dangerous. True simplicity exceeds cunningness. It reads cunningness and remains untouched by it. It is extremely important to be able to read cunningness. And if you can read cunningness, you won't be a victim to it. True simplicity reads cunningness, smiles at it and doesn't feel obliged to reciprocate in cunningness. There is no reactionary cunningness that arises from simplicity and innocence. That's a very different thing from, I repeat, not 
reading or sensing or detecting cunningness at all. That's very different. Usually we have only two kinds of people. One, who cannot even see maya where it exists and therefore remain happy like our drunkard. There is no maya, I am happy, my life is cool. No, I have a nice life. Hmm? Nice neighbors. Nice everything, the sunlight is so nice. My job is so nice, my family is so nice. Yeah. My bed is so nice. Oh, what's that? Whistle? No, no. That's probably some video game my little Johnny is playing. No, no, no. That's not the train approaching on the tracks. No, no. I'm on my bed. What kind of train are you dreaming of? There's no train. I'm happy. A particular kind of people, right? You know them. You meet them. They just don't see any evil anywhere. For them evil is fiction. For them evil is in the movies. That done up and made up caricature of a villain, they think he is evil. So ask them who is evil and they will say, well that demon with ten heads. Because they live very gross lives, therefore they cannot see the subtle evil where it exists. Evil to them has to be a gross entity. So gross that it announces itself by carrying ten heads. Now come on. Will the evil one ever announce himself so loudly that he'll declare, show, proclaim his ten heads to you? And laugh as the villains do. <laughs> and because there is no such person, they can see around, they declare, they declare, there is no evil. Because the evil is supposed to carry ten heads and has to be loud and must laugh in a very sinister way. Hmm? They don't see any such person around. So they see there is no evil. Life is cool. Such people are not fit to be disciples. And then there is the next category of people who see evil and are taken in by evil. Taken in by evil, not necessarily in the sense that they become evil. Taken in by the evil in the sense that they become reactionaries. Evil manages to induce shrewdness in them. Now even these people are not fit to be disciples. The evil can consume you in two ways. One is you look at evil and you find it 
beautiful. Some people do. Hmm? They are captivated by the sheer charm of evil. Wow! Aren't the dawns in the movies sometimes very charming? In fact, the most charming characters in the movies in the last few decades have been all underworld dawns. Scan your memory. Hmm? Many of them at least, if not all. I'm, I'm entitled to exaggerate a bit, am I not? Can you recall some of those charming dawns? Hmm? And we don't call them black. We say, you know, those are characters in grey. So evil can be very charming. Or you can be so put off by evil, so incited by evil, that you decide to turn evil to avenge evil. That's another way in which the evil overpowers you. The world has done so much wrong to me. The evil has done so much wrong to me. Therefore, I will turn evil to avenge myself. This person is also not entitled to be a disciple. Getting it? Those who cannot see evil are the first ones to be disqualified. Those who see evil and find it cute or worth idolizing, huh? they are the next to be disqualified. And then the ones who resist evil by turning evil are the next in the queue. Getting it? Simplicity is about seeing evil, seeing maya and walking past it. How do you do, lady? Have a nice day. I have work to do. Can't just stand and gossip with you. Get it? And I know you, auntie. Don't feel in a face. Drop that mask. I know you. Yeah, to keep you in good humor, I'll say you are cute. That doesn't mean I'll fall to your charms. Good day, lady. Take care of yourself. I don't you I don't value you so much. They'll stop in my tracks. to hug you I won't stop even to abuse you I know you 
get this won't embrace you won't abuse you i just know you just know you that's simplicity that's innocence the knowing element is paramount unfortunately most of us just don't know maya is sitting ducks then if you don't maya that gives you no protection that only gives you a certain righteousness with a sense of uprightness you manage to claim to others that you are not one of her victims or stooges but that doesn't save you you may not have consciously embraced her but subconsciously you have fallen to her because you do not know her in fact so pathetic is your defeat that you do not even know that you have been defeated she has overpowered you and you do not even know you have been captivated so it's no excuse all it can give you is some moral kind of ego boost well you know in my knowledge i have never done any wrong in my knowledge no your knowledge itself is so narrow so blind outside your knowledge you have always been wrong in your subconscious ignorance you have been doing all kinds of stupid things and partaking in evil how will you be saved of the consequences just by offering this kind of a lame excuse i did not do it consciously so what you did it getting it hmm? now and only now only when the external world does not hold much power over you you truly come to realize that there is something amiss within you cannot uh, have an inner focus if the external is taking away all your energy and attention 
only when the external world becomes irrelevant to you that you are able to hear the murmurs from within. I said irrelevant. I did not say you have to be an outright winner. What do I mean by irrelevance? Walking past. When you walk past something, you have made it irrelevant to yourself. Only when you come to that condition, when you know evil and walk past evil, you have made the evil irrelevant. It does not hold any meaning or significance to you anymore. Now is the time when you can listen to the internal noises. Now is the time you can go to the sage. Hmm? Again, a disclaimer here. Listening to the internal voices, if you respond with an assertion that you will be able to defeat these internal problems just as you are able to defeat the external enemies, again you are not fit to be a disciple. So many conditions you see. Very few people, first of all, come to see that there is a problem within. For them, most problems exist without. Hmm? And the problems that exist externally can be of many kinds. We talked of them. We said one problem is that you do not see any evil. The other problem is that you are charmed by evil. The other problem is that you become evil, to face evil. And there can be many other sub-variants of these things. The one who is able to somehow walk past the external chaos manages to hear the squabbling voices within. Again, there is something to be avoided. The confidence that the same faculty that enabled you to be a winner externally will be able to help you prevail over the internal problems. I am a great man, I have wealth, I have power, I have success in business and so many other things. If you can manage all that, surely I can also manage myself. I know the world, I know my mind. 
I'm a self-made person. If I could win it all without any help, and there were so many others to be won, I prevailed over all of them without much help from anybody. Why do I require any help in winning the one person who sits within? If you lend your weight to this argument, then again you cannot be a disciple. It's a very peculiar combination. A great fighter, externally and very humble internally, knowing fully well that no problem outside is insurmountable and realizing that the problem within requires transcendental guidance. This is the disciple. These two things have to coexist. One, no problem outside is insurmountable. Insurmountable in the sense that there is no problem in the external world that cannot be exceeded. In the external world, many a times, beyondness is victory. Uh, uh, evil uh, it uh, charms you, uh, and it also it also puts puts you off, like, as you said. So, uh, does it not happen to same person simultaneously? Like like it in one in one segment of the world it charms, and another segment it says that the world is evil and. So so, if it is either of it is happening, it's time. You can imagine a huge person in front of a little child. Hmm? A huge person with long arms, long arms, each arm much longer than the child's entire height. Hmm? And what does he do? With this arm, with this hand, he slaps the kid. Pretty long arm, slaps. And the child runs away. And with this arm, he offers him a toffee, a candy, a sweet, something. And after a while he slaps him with this arm and then the child runs to this. And what is the child thinking? I'm, uh, I'm escaping one person and going to a totally different person. This person who slapped me was my enemy and the one I'm going to is my friend. What the child doesn't see is that the two ends of this duality are one. And this is true of each and every duality. 
all you see is the two palms or hands or arms you do not see how they become one and how they are operated from a single center you feel as if are these two are two different centers no these aren't two different centers they have a common center here so you run from here to here you have actually not gone away anywhere you are very much in the middle of the trap right hmm? this is the center this is us this is the entire world performing simple harmonic motion right it's very difficult to see right in your moments of your of pleasure that pleasure is pain but if you can cultivate this practice it will help you a lot believe me whenever you feel overwhelmed by excitement hmm the so called positive excitement something good is happening to me or is about to happen to me in that moment in that very moment remind yourself i'm preparing for a disaster i'll be hit very badly the more you find yourself excited by pleasure in that moment tell yourself itni zor ki padne wali hai this is going to hit me really hard and very badly very badly take your foot off the accelerator the speed the revving of the engine it all depends on you mind you none of it happens totally without your permission you may not have built or designed the car you may find yourself accidentally seated behind the wheel but still you are the one with the foot on the pedal that inner accelerator is yours you decide how much to fire the engine and when you are feeding it fuel when you are firing it all up that's just the moment to remind yourself bahut buri padegi this will come back to haunt me i'll pay very dearly for this i'm preparing 
for an equal intensity of pain now choose your dialogue inner one mine is bahut buri padne wali hai it happens there are days when the world is just all pink it's so beautiful only nice things are happening to you and you like you know just feel like getting carried away i mean life is giving you so much why not just take it why merely take it just gobble it before it disappears uh, you know it happens does it not it is yours to be taken just jump at it arrest yourself in your tracks apply the inner brakes or just say mm. as you say to a nagging kid it's very similar to om mm. no not again not again otherwise they say the law has long arms they don't know maya she holds the entire universe in her two palms no she is the directions the moment you say directions you are talking in duality aren't you hmm? maya is directions maya is all kinds of linearity maya is all dualities maya is everything that carries an opposite maya is everything that is so if ever you feel besotted that's just the time to check yourself and it'll happen only with practice it requires discipline just when you are about to plunge into the pleasure pool you know you have torn and thrown away all your clothes and the pleasure pool beckons and you're running to it and about to dive that's when you must come to a screeching halt i know how inwardly uh, torturous it must be it is 
to apply those inner breaks right in the moment of pleasure. But what if it is not a pleasure pool, but the edge of a cliff? Won't you apply the brakes? You're running towards this, this edge. Right? You're perceiving that beyond this lies the pool of unmitigated pleasure. Oh, let me just plunge. What if you in the moment realize that this is a blind alley. This is an abyss without a base. What if you realize that? You won't emerge intact. The thing is just bottomless. What if you realize that? Won't you apply the brakes? That's the moment. Be extremely discreet in your pleasures. Not that pleasures are forbidden. Indiscretion is forbidden. Apply the brakes, stand there, watch the pool, inquire into it. Most of the times, inquiry will evaporate the charm. The moment you just stand still and investigate, you'll find the charm, the attraction is all gone. But if the attraction can still remain in spite of the investigation, if the charm can hold its own in spite of the inquiry, if you can perceive a beauty that surpasses pleasure, then proceed. You won't sink, you will fly. Never without pausing and inquiring. Never. Getting it? So, Angiras says, Verse 4. Twofold, twofold is the knowledge that must be known, of which the knowers of Brahma tell higher knowledge and lower knowledge. Hmm? What has Shonak asked? Tell me that which encapsulates all knowledge. What does Angira say? Knowers of Brahm talk of two kinds of knowledge, higher and lower. Hmm? 
to him thus spoke angiras twofold is the knowledge that must be known of which the knowers of brahma tell higher and lower knowledge verse 5 of which the lower be very attentive look at what is contained in the realm of lower knowledge or avidya or aparavidya rigved यजुर्वेद सामवेद अथर्ववेद चैंटिंग रिचुअल्स ग्रामर इटिमोलॉजिकल इंटरप्रिटेशंस प्रसोडे एस्ट्रोनॉमी कल्प व्याकरण निरुक्त छंद ज्योतिष एंड ऑल द फोर वेदास ऑल दिस इज जस्ट लोअर नॉलेज and this is what the upanishads are saying and that is why the upanishads are just so pure and so beautiful the upanishads are part of the vedas and the vedas through the upanishads are saying we are lower knowledge get the wisdom and look at the humility vedas through the upanishads are saying you know we are lower knowledge and they are not employing symbolism to put this across here they are as forthright as possible they are leaving no ambiguity no possibility of misinterpretation otherwise the religious ones would gladly take the ambiguity and interpret it to say no no the vedas are not really saying that they are lower knowledge no so the sage has kept it very direct here very unambiguous 